0: Welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by New Trail Brewing Company. New Trail beers are brewed right here in central Pennsylvania and delivered fresh and cold to your favorite retailers every week. When you're in Happy Valley, be sure to find New Trail at W.R. Hickey and other craft beer retailers.
1: Welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I am Jim Galante, along with Dustin Hawkinsmith, and this is quarter number one of our show, brought to you by New Trail Brewing Company. They brew their beer right here in central Pennsylvania and deliver it fresh and cold to your favorite retailers every week. Your biggest dilemma, as always, is which of their many great options to select. That's why I recommend the Hoppy Variety Pack. New Trail's Hoppy Pack, it's an absolute crowd-pleaser Packed with four different hoppy beers. Sure to please everybody at your party, Dustin. We're going to take a look at Penn State, Michigan State, Dustin. You know what? Was this not a typical Penn State game? Slow start on offense. Great effort by the defense. They allowed an inferior opponent to hang in there with them. And you even had an up and down performance from Sean Clifford just to
2: complete it.
1: Is that? Yeah. Is this not a microcosm of this team?
2: It, it really, it really, ha- it had a little bit of everything, didn't it? And Clint, and the, the two true freshmen doing a really good job on the ground, gr- grinding out yardage, which made a difference in the game. The slow start, you know, the the threat of Michigan State. Um, we've seen this team in worse shape, I feel like, than it was on Saturday, pose a bigger threat to Penn State and even win some games in this series. So I, I was always of the school of thought you couldn't take anything in this game for granted, even as 19-point favorites, which was the ended up being the outcome of the game, the margin. So yeah, it, it really was a very Penn State game. And, and I would also include, you know, kind of like the live or die by pressure defense part of it too. Michigan State was you know, sort of uniquely equipped to be able to win some one-on-one matchups on the outside because they've got some pretty good skill guys and their quarterback's been around almost as long as Sean Clifford has been around. So uh, you kind of felt like Michigan State would have a little bit of success. And, you know, I think it was good that Manny Diaz didn't change his identity based on whatever the opponent was doing. He was still getting after them and dialing up pressure. And, you know, in the end, it all, it all added up to this win. There was a you know, a little close for comfort, you know, midway through the second half, but they turned on the thrusters and, and, and got the job done, which I don't know what else you can ask for. And as in a Thanksgiving weekend uh, kind of uh, what was it the first weekend of, of hunting season, um, you know, I think you have to you had to find your own energy in this one. And they found enough to get the job done Four wins in a row. Ten and two. Can't argue with that one. No, y you, you can't. They you've gotta be happy with double digit wins.
1: And also I wanna make point too about when Michigan State did score those touchdowns on back to back series, Dustin, or back to back possessions, they made plays. That was not Penn State's defense breaking down. You didn't see wide open receivers. There were you had Peyton Thorne throwing off his back foot. You had receivers making great plays. You had fourth down conversions. You had a, you know, uh, an interception almost for by Penn State a couple times and it just didn't happen for them on, on those two possessions. So credit to Michigan State, I don't think the defense let things down. Let's talk about Penn State's offense, though, where I do think we we again had the slow start. How do you justify that? Because we've seen it game after game after game, Put your finger on it for me.
2: I, I mean, I, first of all, you know, the the early play calls are all scripted. And then it's it's based on adjustments and, and you're calling it on the fly. So it's like the scripted stuff doesn't really get the job done. I know that there's some, you know, some matters outside of scoring points that are that are they're trying to accomplish, whether that's softening up the defense, whether that's showing certain looks to kind of force their hand that to, to, you're, you're trying to learn about how they're going to approach you. So I don't know, you know, I, I I think it's just kind of that maybe coming out a little flat. Maybe it's the quarterback, you know, not really being dialed in until he gets, you know, gets that first hit, so to speak, whatever it is, it's just part of the personality of this team. And, you know, I think, uh, looking back at 2016, when they won the big 10 title, that was the personality of that team too, was to go absolutely bonkers in the second half, but maybe not be your best self in the first half. They've, they've kind of compensated for it by doing some things really well, including in this game. I think when Michigan state takes all the momentum and, and closes the gap and is within a score say, you know, there was no panic button or anything. I thought they handled themselves really, really well, and they mounted the drives when they needed the drives. So I think that's a check mark in the right column. The slow starts, whatever the explanation is, it's just part of the character of this team. As as maddening as it might be, you want to try to put this team away right out, out of the shoots. You want to try to build a lead and make them play from a, a trail position. It just didn't happen very quickly, and uh, you know, but they were they were they were still in control. I felt like in the early part of this thing. So take it for what it is. I mean, I, I I have no reason to doubt that wherever they end up going in a bowl game, there is going to be a little bit of a slow start in that one too. Well, I always
1: get that feeling. It's a conservative start. They want to establish the run, establish we're willing to do it and we can do it. And I feel like the defense is aware of it. And next thing you know, you put Sean Clifford into a third and long situation and that's not the best situation for him. So that's my way of segueing to Sean Clifford here, Dusty. An interesting legacy he has created, and I'm not sure how he's going to be remembered. To the credit of the fans, they received him warmly before the game. Um, I was hoping that Clifford would come right out of the chute hot, And a quick little story, our buddy Andy Shea and I were texting during the game, and at one point he texted me, I said, well, Sean Clifford's not helping the cause here very much, and he said, well, I think he's playing well. Well, from the point where I said he's part of the problem, he then completed his next 12 passes, so I'll take some credit for his improved play.
2: You got the magic touch there, don't you, Jimmy? And it's it's really cute how you guys are in-game texting buddies. Every, every game, and we've been going at this for, what, seven years now we've been doing the show, which is hard to wrap my head around. But I feel like you guys have been texting buddies in games for most of those seven years, almost every single week, right? Oh, gosh, yes. It's,
1: it's not a game unless I start getting text messages from Andy and going back and forth. And his... I always I just love his take as I know you do on things. Andy has his own way of looking at things and it's not a game for me without hearing from Andy. (laughs) But anyway, I I still wanna
2: get your take. It's Sean Clifford.
1: After all these years, I feel like in some ways we still don't know what we're gonna get from him.
2: Boy, it's uh it is a complex legacy. And I think you know, I think with a little bit of distance, I think a lot of Penn State fans, even the ones that um, we're calling for him to be benched for multiple seasons. We'll look back and appreciate what, what he did. I mean, he, he walked into a situation, you know, coming in after the 2017 season, after, after all the success that they had in 16, trying to succeed trace McSorley and trying to do that in an environment where expectations were taken up a notch by that team. You know, they were in that position where it was it was widely assumed and expected that Penn State would step into maybe that college football playoff running. Finally, they've elevated the program to the point where um, they can be in that top four mix. And then they didn't get there. So I think whoever the quarterback was going to be that succeeded Trace McSorley and went after the whole McSorley and Saquon era and Joe Moorhead, they were in a position where they, they it was kind of a no win position. You know, he went out there. They won a lot of games. They went through the all the struggles of 2020 and 2021, which I think were program wide. Um, all the uncertainty, the change at offensive coordinator, the multiple changes at offensive coordinator. Um, you know, but I think it's it's still okay to say, you know, like Sean Clifford, maybe he'll win 11 games this year. Uh, 2019 was it was a nice season, but they never really posed a threat to the top teams in the Big Ten since beating. Um, Ohio state in 2016. And if that's ultimately where you want to go, I think Penn state took a step backwards from that. And I think this season that they're, they're going through now is a step back towards the right direction because they're recruiting at a high level. Again, they got what they hope is the future of that position in drew Aller and Sean Clifford helped to really steady the ship during all these difficult unforeseen times. Uh, He gave everything, you know, I think there was no questioning his toughness and his courage, his leadership um, it just, you know, I, I think he just didn't meet expectations and whether those expectations of fans were realistic or whether Sean Clipper was good enough. Uh, yeah, I'm not really sure, but, um, he, he, he battled admirably. And, uh, I think it was kind of fitting that he was able to go out on a, what was a four touchdown pass day and, um, you know, close, close out on a hot streak and, and, and win that game. But the, the legacy is certainly complex. He compiled numbers. He left as the career passing leader. Uh, didn't achieve what Penn State fans hoped they would achieve under him. Uh, but no question that he was um he's a Penn State guy through and through. He definitely is. And he had a lot of circumstances that
1: went against him. The two losing seasons, one the COVID, the losing Journey Brown and Micah Parsons, you know, so they were a bit undermanned around him. He also had the issue. He follows the beloved Trace McSorley who probably got more out of less than any quarterback in in Penn State, this side of Matt McGloin. He had Will Levis there, and the decision Levis leaves and becomes potentially a first-round draft pick. And then he has the five-star guy coming in after him, which everybody was clamoring for. And if, if Drew Aller becomes what every fan wants him to be, you know, Sean Clifford will be this forgotten guy in the middle. And it just leads to the question, and you brought it up in your notes, Dustin, and I got to ask you about, you know, how much or do we see Sean Clifford start in the bowl game? My quick answer, my comment on it is there's no way he's not. No way, because James Franklin's not going to make that decision. Sean Clifford's not going to make that decision. Might there be a little more Drew Aller than normal, possibly, but there's no way in the world, in my opinion, we're not seeing Sean Clifford there under center to start the game.
2: Yeah, I think the decision is going to be on Sean Clifford, and he's going to want to play. For all he knows, at this point in time, this will be his last opportunity to play in a competitive football game. I don't know what the future holds for him in terms of trying out for an NFL team or making a practice squad or whatever. Uh, I know he wants to try to go down that road, but this is his final stand, so to speak. And, I, you know, I think Penn State's going to take this game seriously, whatever the game is. They're going to want to try to win it. You know, I, I, I get like... Trace McSorley was able to have a little bit of a springboard. What was it? The Gator Bowl that he was able to play in place of Christian Hackenberg and really gave you a good sense of what he was going to be in the future and then delivered on it. I don't think we're going to see that so much in this game. I think they're going to treat it just like every other game where if if the cushion gets comfortable enough, which, you know, kind of doubtful in in a bowl game, then we'll see Drew some more. But otherwise, I think this is a Sean Clifford show one more week. I'm with you on
1: that. I think that's definitely going to happen. And I agree with that decision. If he's the guy that you thought all season gave you the best chance to win, he should be the guy in the bowl game. That's it for quarter number one. Stick around. We got a lot more to talk about. Stay tuned.
3: New Trail Brewing Company proudly crafts their beers right here in central Pennsylvania. Brewed with only the best possible ingredients, New Trail produces a variety of year-round brands as well as weekly experimental recipes. New Trail Broken Heels is Pennsylvania's favorite local hazy IPA. This beer is smooth and full-bodied. Hand-selected citra hops lead to notes of bright clementine and juicy ruby red grapefruit. Broken Heels is perfect for a pregame tailgate all the way through the victory celebration.
1: StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman, and others. Local Perspective local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, statecollege.com. Trust statecollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love.
0: Welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show, brought to you by New Trail Brewing Company. New Trail beers are brewed right here in central Pennsylvania and delivered fresh and cold to your favorite retailers every week. When you're in Happy Valley, be sure to find New Trail at WR Hickey and other craft beer retailers.
1: Welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number two. I'm Jim Galante, he's Dustin Hawkinsmith, and we're talking about Penn State's 35-16 35-16 win over Michigan State last Saturday, Dusty. We talked a lot about the quarterback, Sean Clifford, in quarter number one. Let's go to the polar opposite, okay? A senior quarterback with mixed reviews to the true freshman running backs where there are no mixed reviews. These guys, they're the future of this program. And once again, Nick Singleton, Catron Allen, what did they combine for like 160 yards rushing? Uh, and I thought important also, they both caught the ball out of the backfield. They are the future. What else is there to say?
2: The present and the future. And it's a big reason that the slow starts don't feel quite as slow anymore because the, the you know, drives are generally going in a positive direction. Um you know, and I, and I do think we can maybe talk about this a little bit later, but just the, the, you know, incorporating these guys more into the passing game. You know, I I put the stat out there that in the first six games of the year, Kate Tron Allen had four catches in the last six, he had 13 catches and you saw Nick Singleton make three of them, including that fourth down touchdown catch uh, in this one. Uh, They combined for that 160 yards. There wasn't a lot of room to to run, Michigan State looked pretty focused, and they were emphasizing taking away that that run game. Um, but they still managed to keep grinding out yardage. And you can't help but wonder, you know, if these two guys aren't there, and you don't have that 160, if you've got Kevon Lee going, you know, not to pick on him, going 15 carries for 44 yards, you know, it, is this game different? So the fact, and and I think you know, both of these guys, I, I've I've been fascinated by their usage because it really is. A hot hand situation. And it makes it a little easier when there's just two of them. But usually one of these guys finds something against the defense. And it really is kind of like a matter of which one of the two guys. Um, you know, S- Nick Singleton now has 941 yards and 10 touchdowns on the season. Katron Allen has 830 and nine touchdowns. So that one two punch, I mean, you're talking about almost 1,800 yards between two true freshmen. You know, I, I think it's just been such we've talked about it a lot, but it's still such a big factor in this offense and his creative manageable situations because both of them, especially Nick Singleton in the second half of the year, has found a way to keep the chains moving, has found a way to make positive yardage happen and not be so um, hot or cold, not not run for a lot of losses. So they they it's made such a big difference to the offense and keeping them in manageable situations that frankly, I mean, the last two years before this, Penn State just didn't have that luxury. So now now they've got it and it was just such a big deal in this game, even though neither of them found the end zone on the ground, uh that 160 yards was was pivotal in a November game where you don't have your best stuff and you're trying to get uh, trying to uh, dispatch a, a team that's that's hard to make them go away. They did it on the ground, and uh, I wouldn't expect, expect anything less there.
1: And, Dustin, I'm glad you brought up the fact that Nick Singleton was getting those tough yards. That third and two or so, he was getting those first downs. It doesn't necessarily look great for your average per carry, but they are so critical, and that's what Penn State wasn't doing the last two years. The other quick note on it, between them, thirty-eight carries, six receptions. That means forty-four touches between these two guys. Remember, a year ago, would always say you got to get the ball into your playmakers' hands. How can we get the ball to Jahan Dotson? Well, now it's how do you get the ball into Singleton's hands or Catron Allen's hands? And you feel good about it. The last thought I have is. As a fan, you typically have a favorite guy if there's more than one guy at a position. I never look out there and say, oh, gee, Nick Singleton's not out there. We got to settle for Catron Allen or vice versa. I'm happy to see either one of them, and I'm even happier when they're both out there. So I, I it, kudos also to the coaching staff for how they've handled both of them, and they both get a lot of touches. Handling two guys who are both potential stars, or maybe they already are stars, and keeping them both happy, they've done a great job at it. The uh, couple other guys on the offensive side to make note of, the tight ends, again, credit to the coaching staff with all these formations with two and even three tight ends out there. These guys are both weapons catching the ball. And blocking, every time you see a big run by these running backs that we talked about, it seems like a tight end is leading the way, Dusty.
2: Yeah, and that's something that I think every offensive coach in America is going to want to say, hey, we need our tight end to block, but whether you believe that or not, or whether you believe in that, or whether you make that a part of your culture really makes a difference. I feel like for the same reason that like Oklahoma for years and years and years, uh, recruited big time defensive talent, but they, they clearly didn't care about defense because the defense didn't seem to care so much. So now you have Penn state's tight ends that it really is a requirement for the job now. It's something that it seems like they, they've instilled in the program and in the position group. It helps to have a former offensive lineman coaching the tight ends at this point. But they really do take pride and they really do want to be physical in, in that run game. They want to play their part. They're not really guys who are out there for just the glory work or they're not glorified uh, wide receivers and, and bigger bodies. These guys, you know, they, they want to do that job. And it's not true of all tight ends coming out of high school. You have to instill that culture. And I think Penn state has done a really good job of making that a cultural part of their tight end room. They've got talent. They've got guys from all different walks of life, guys who have have basically been wide receivers in high school. Tyler Warren was a quarterback in high school. They've made it pretty clear. If you want to play in this offense, you know, there's snaps available, but you have to want to do it all. And they do want to do it all. you saw them, You know, account for three touchdown catches in this game, including Theo Johnson's two. So they were rewarded for that hard work. And Theo Johnson's two touchdown catches may be the easiest
1: pair of touchdown catches ever. And then you have Tyler Warren, who I think both of us have been big fans of his. We haven't seen enough of him, but he made the great catch. And I think it's also worth pointing out, and it's my way of segueing from tight ends to wide receiver with Lambert Smith. Keandre Lambert Smith made the pass play. It was a great call. I've always liked they do so many of those wide receiver tight end screens to do something, play off that to draw the defense in and then throw over the top, whether it's the quarterback pump faking or doing what they did. Keandre Lambert Smith looked like he knew what he was
2: doing, Dusty. He did. I saw there, there was, he, he had a funny quote after the game. I'm trying to, oh, um, he was asked if uh, any of the t- if any of the quarterbacks said anything to him after that touchdown pass. And he said, This was from Audrey Snyder. Said, Sean said, I already got Drew on my ass. I don't need you too, which is hilarious. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. but you know, I, I think the 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 finer points of execution on that play, you know, you obviously you have to have a wide receiver who's comfortable pivoting and making that throw down the field, which he clearly looked comfortable doing it. Um, that was his second. Uh, he threw the the pass to Sean Clifford earlier, so I, I think it was a twenty five yarder against Auburn. So this wasn't his first foray into throwing it, but it was buried enough in game film that maybe Michigan State didn't really account for it. But what I what I really saw was, and not that it's a difficult throw for Sean Clifford, but it's so important to hit the wide receiver right on the numbers in that situation because you know any, any time to gather your footing again means that that gap gets closed with Theo Johnson down the field. It was an enormous gap. But I felt like it was it was such a big gap because Michigan State was not ready for it, and because they executed so cleanly, the it was like turning a double play. The throw from Clifford, the pivot from Lambert Smith, and the throw down field was right on the numbers. It was just a very, very well executed play. And for a gadget, I mean, that goes to show that they put in the prep work to make sure that that play happened, and probably practiced it a, an extra number of reps this week uh, because they knew they were going to use it.
1: And I believe it was Theo Johnson who said something about telling Keandre Lambert-Smith, make sure you lead me. don't you know, And he did. He he, he yeah. did a great job on Beautiful it. Beautiful throw. And wh- while we're finishing up on the offense, you got to talk about the fourth down call by Penn State. First of all, I think you and I will agree it was the right decision to go for it. Anytime they have like that fourth and short and don't just try to muscle it uh, – into the line of scrimmage. I'm always pleased. I know James Franklin gave the, and he's right by saying this, you guys always think it's a great call when it works, and it's a terrible call when it doesn't. That was a good call no matter what. And and they had a formation with four receivers and only three defenders there. So not only was it a good call, it went to the right place. The scheme of it was
2: perfect. Along yeah. with it
1: being executed,
2: and it all it goes back to you know this T formation thing. Um, they they've showed so many different wrinkles and looks out of it, and I think you know it was a it was a bold call for Mike Yurcich in this situation. Fourth and two can be really tricky, you know, because it's it's it, it can feel like a mile. Uh, on on the ground, you have to dial up if you're going to if you're going to run it, you got to dial up the right run play. What I what I don't generally expect is for the ball to be in the air for what felt like about 10 seconds from Sean Clifford <laughs> all the way to the to the wide side of the field. Uh, the numbers were there, but you have to be confident and you've got to be pretty courageous to make that call and trust in your quarterback to deliver it. And then for those guys to block, because if one guy misses a block, none of this matters. So yeah, you have numbers out there, but you have three on three blocking in front of the guy who catches it. You have to be able to trust that those guys are going to block. And, and what do you know? I mean, I don't know how many of them were tight ends. Two two tight ends, I think, out there in that formation of four, that diamond formation. So I, I love the play call. I think, you know, this is what you want in a coordinator. You got to have a guy who's creative, but who is also pretty fearless. Even in a big major game situation, you have to trust whether your stuff is good enough or not. And in that situation, it, w- it was bold. It wasn't you know cut from that cloth that you would expect. You would expect maybe a tight play call or a slant or a short pass or something. This was a long pass on, on a screen where you needed, you needed guys to execute. You needed to trust them to execute in order to pull it off. And they all did their jobs well. And
1: might I add to that, Dustin, another part of this that I really liked is, remember earlier I was saying about these running backs being your playmakers? Yep. Remember we talked about passing them the ball, getting them out in the open. I feel pretty good when that ball's in Nick Singleton's
2: hands, don't you? Yeah, if if you give him if you give him the right numbers and you give him, you know, a, a yard to to figure out where he's going, that's all that's all he really needed in that situation. And I think in another unheralded part of this T formation is that either one of these guys is fine blocking for the other one, too. That's that's not always an easy ask for your running backs to play the role of fullback. And I think Catron Allen and Nick Singleton, to their credit, have played that role and they've been playing it very willingly. They are both so
1: physical, Dustin, that I think that adds to it why they don't mind. We've seen that right from day one, Catron Allen, and we're seeing more and more of it from Nick Singleton. They're willing to run people over when they have the ball. So I think they're okay running them over when they don't have the ball. (laughs) That is it for quarter number two. Stick around. Lots more to talk about. We're going to hit the defense in quarter number three.
3: New Trail Brewing Company proudly crafts their beers right here in central Pennsylvania. Brewed with only the best possible ingredients, New Trail produces a variety of year-round brands as well as weekly experimental recipes. And next time you're watching the game with friends or by the campfire, pick up the New Trail Hoppy Variety Pack. New Trail's Hoppy Pack is an absolute crowd pleaser, Packed with four different hoppy beers, it's sure to please everyone.
1: StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, statecollege.com. Trust statecollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love.
2: We are Tech Results, located right here in State College.
0: We specialize in providing assistance with many third party software suites. Our clients include doctors' offices, lawyers, construction companies, and even hairdressers. We provide help with their industry specific software. Learn more at TechResults.com. That's T E K Results.com. Or give us a call at 814 206 0000. Welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by New Trail Brewing Company. New Trail beers are brewed right here in central Pennsylvania and delivered fresh and cold to your favorite retailers every week. When you're in Happy Valley, be sure to find New Trail at W.R. Hickey and other craft beer retailers.
1: Welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It's quarter number three. I'm Jim Galante along with Dustin Hawkinsmith. All right, Dustin, we did offense. Now it's time to have some fun and talk about this defense. And let's talk about some of the individual players. And if we're going to do this, there's only one place to start. And I'm going to read straight from your notes. You (laughs) you send me notes every week with a heading for for an area of discussion, and you describe this player as Abdul Freaking Carter. That's the perfect way to put it.
2: He's a freak. he he's he's getting the Jahan Dotson treatment for me. This is the first time all season that I put the freaking in between in between there. You have to earn that for me. It's it's arguably more prestigious than All America honors or All Big Ten or Player of the Week. None of that matters until you get that freaking. It's more exclusive. Uh, it is more exclusive, and there, there's you know they, Penn State has had a, a bunch of guys do really good stuff this year, but Abdul Carter is the only one who who really deserves that. And, you know, seven tackles in this one, I think he tied for the team high in in the game, three tackles for loss, two sacks, wherever he's going on the field, he's going there like a bat out of hell. And I think, you know, when, when you move as well as he does, when you're as big as he is, and you combine that with the aggressiveness and the confidence, and he's not playing like a freshman, boy, he just has a knack for making plays and he's got all the tools that he needs. And then some, I think to make those plays, uh, called his name so many times, just impacting plays and, you know, coming out of nowhere, uh, just like like a heat-seeking missile on, on certain plays. I, I feel like if you're a quarterback or an offensive coordinator, it would really be a nightmare to try to figure out what Abdul Carter was doing, where he was going, you know, when he's up on the line and, and when Manny Diaz likes to do those pressure looks where a bunch of guys are are standing at the line of scrimmage, Boy, I mean, no matter where Abdul Carter goes, whether he's coming off the edge, whether he's in the middle and drops back, whether he's in the middle and rushes, he's probably going to win his one-on-one matchup and he's probably going to make a play that derails your plans. And I don't know how else to say that at this point in time, but the playmaking ability has only gotten better and better as the season's gone on.
1: And it feels like Manny Diaz has it figured out how to best use this guy. Now, one of these days, I want to go back to watch tapes of the early games to see if I feel like there's any differences in how he's being used. And he also he also had almost had his first pick six, and it it reminded me, Dustin. And it's a random kind of thought, but do you remember the old saying? Who's the only guy who could hold Michael Jordan under twenty points a game?
2: Michael Dean Jordan Smith.
1: Oh, Dean Smith. Yeah. 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 Dean Smith, who who restricted him when he played in his college days. Well, who's the only guy who could slow down Abdul Carter? It's Nick Darburton, who got in his way from that for that interception.
2: That was unofficially Nick Tarburton's third PBU of the game. He got two actual (laughs) pass breakups. That one, he deserved one. I mean, it's tough. Like you're just, you're, you're both trying to make a play on the ball as it's kind of fluttering in the air there. Uh, I don't think you, you really have sight on your teammates whenever, you know, when you're a defensive guy, your eyes get huge when the ball's in the air. So uh, I don't think you really knew where Abdul Carter was, but it was the only thing. And then Michigan state turns around the scores on that drive. Exactly. And that's why I'm
1: not going to get on the defense too much for those back to back drives because things had to really fall Michigan State's way. And on that particular play, you're exactly right. You know, there was nothing either one of them could do about it. But uh, to see the look on uh, Abdul Carter's face when he knew he had an easy touchdown, it just, uh, he's going to get one. You know, it's coming, it will oh, happen coming. for him. Yeah let's go to the defensive backfield, Dustin, and it almost felt like the changing of the guard. Joey Porter's been out for a couple weeks. It was great to see him back and playing because I think we agree that we neither one of us would have been surprised if we no longer saw Joey Porter Jr. suit up for this team. But then Kaitlin King, they threw his way a lot, but it just felt like. That defensive backfield, or at least the cornerback room, it's changing hands now. We're seeing Kalen King take over.
2: Yeah, I think th- this was the perfect setting for it, too, because you've seen two weeks without Joey Porter Jr. You've started to adjust to the reality of him, in all likelihood, leaving after this season. Uh, I'm with you. Like I I really didn't think we were going to see him again. I wasn't taking James Franklin's words at face value that he was hopeful that they would come back, him and Fashanu. Um, So it was a surprise. I think a pleasant one that he came back in this one. And then, you know, Michigan State really was saying, okay, we're going to attack the other guys. And you saw, you know, Kalen King really all year. Kalen King has has made plays. And I just I I love how sticky is in coverage how competitive he is with the ball in the air. He, he seems to have just tremendous feel for, you know, when the ball's in the air, what he can get away with and what he can't get away with in terms of, you know, how, how he's using his hands and, you know, exactly how scrappy he's getting to make up ground and things like that. I've also seen, I think the ideal temperament for a number one cornerback where he's got big time swagger. He's got the ability to, to really have a short memory, you know, You're going to you're going to lose one on one matchups when you're tested a whole bunch. It's going to happen. You know, Keon Coleman in this game, for example, is a pretty good player. So and Jaden Reed, a pretty good player. When you're matched up with those guys, you are not going to win 100 percent of them. But uh, when when those rare occasions come where he loses a one on one matchup, it doesn't seem to phase him or affect him at all. I think, in fact, he gets stronger and better from from that five pass breakups in this game. He has 18 pass breakups for the for the season, which I don't know where that ranks among national leaders. It's probably at or near the top of the national listings. I mean, this is a really good player who is well positioned to play, to take that number one cornerback role and absolutely run with it. And then you've got Johnny Dixon in all likelihood coming back and maybe being your number two. We had Marquise Wilson, I think was recognized on senior day. So maybe he's a guy who moves on too, but the cornerback room is in very good hands right at the top there uh, with Kaelin King. He, he played like a number one corner in this game without a doubt. You know, Dustin, uh, now's maybe not the best time to
1: address it, but why should that ever stop us? The talk of the guys who are moving on, I know over the next several weeks, it's something we're going to hit quite a bit. But when you have Senior Day, and I think it's important to point out to people, just because a player chose to be part of the Senior Day festivities does not mean it's he's leaving it means it's that he's a senior. Uh, for example, Fashanu, he didn't participate. He may still be moving on, but he was not a senior. So he's not going to be part of this. But you have to start looking at the players that, I In this COVID year confuses everybody. Who has another year left and who doesn't? They're seniors, they're super seniors, they're super seniors with an asterisk. But it's pretty obvious there'll be a few guys moving on. Joey Porter Jr., obviously. PJ Mustafer. He doesn't have another year left, does
2: he? No, I believe he's done, yeah.
1: He's done. Jair Brown is done. Jonathan Sutherland is gone. Um, I mentioned Joey Porter definitely going. I think Fashanu, first round, I know he's young and people will talk about that as a reason he may come back. And it it could happen, but I think we got to resign ourselves to the fact that he may choose to leave. Who are the other guys that you're thinking about that may make that decision, and they're not first-round draft picks?
2: Yeah, I mean, so Bryce Efner participated in Senior Day. He's got a COVID year left. He's one guy that I do anticipate, coming back. If he still wants to play football, if he still loves football, I think the coaching staff would love to have him. You know, ideally in a role where he can back up multiple positions, but you've seen him you know really do okay as a starter when his number's called. Uh Brendan Strange tweeted something out after the game that made me think that 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 might have been his last regular season game too. Um You know, you've got like Drew Scruggs and you've got Caden Wallace, all guys who presumably are graduating. Marquise Wilson, who who I mentioned before, Um, you've got Curtis Jacobs is another one. I do feel like anybody who is going to want to take a swing at winning a Big Ten title has to see 2023 as a year where that's a possibility arguably a stronger possibility in 2023 than it was this season and maybe the best chance of any of their careers because of the ad two lost seasons essentially um 2023 the promise of that i still feel like is going to bring some of these older guys back but those those are all names that I'm watching. Deuce Scruggs is another one. All these guys who are redshirt juniors, redshirt seniors, who either have a fifth year of eligibility or a sixth year of eligibility left, I think there's going to be incentive for those guys to come back. But I don't, I don't know anything for a fact, and we likely won't until after the bowl game.
1: We won't know until we know. And some of the names you mentioned, like Bright, Brenton Strange, as a fan, I hope he comes back. He adds to the depth of that tight end room but you still feel pretty good if you have a Theo Johnson and a Tyler Warren coming back. The, uh, the offensive linemen, though, that you mentioned between Efner and warmly and Scruggs and Wallace, it was kind of like when Hunter Norzad announced he was coming back next year. It wasn't a reason to do cartwheels because this superstar is coming back, but you need, not just five guys, you need six, seven, eight offensive linemen over a season. And all those names that you mentioned have proven to at least be competent. Even if they're not your number one, if they're your number two, three, four, or even fifth or even sixth best offensive linemen,
2: it's it would be really nice for them to return. Yeah, you need the cupboard stocked pretty well along the offensive line. I think as many of the as many guys who have played a bunch of games as you can possibly get back, the better off you are. So I thought Hunter Norzad was a nice preliminary shot for Penn State to set the tone about uh, coming back or not coming back. It's not like... Juice Scruggs and Sal Wormley and Caden Wallace and, and Bryce Eppner are, are all shoe-ins to play at the next level at all, let alone be drafted. So really, it's it's going to come down to each one of those guys, maybe more so personal goals than professional goals. Um, you might see some of them want to kind of chase the NFL or, or, or they've graduated and they're not interested in a graduate degree of any kind. I mean, there's all kinds of different circumstances involved, but I do feel like um, there there's got to be a feeling of of unfinished business for a lot of those guys who have suffered through maybe suffers a strong word, but have played through you know two of the toughest seasons in recent Penn State histories, uh, certainly under James Franklin. That they'll they'll have one more shot at redemption and a pretty good shot to do that. And by the way, you don't need world beaters there. We've seen you've got two great running backs, and you're going to have you know a a the strongest arm quarterback you've ever had. Like you just got to be competent up front, and all these guys coming back would would almost guarantee that. Yes, each one of them
1: individually has proven their competence. And what could hurt that offensive line is if you don't have just that minimum level from your third, fourth, fifth best offensive lineman. All right, Dusty, that's it for quarter number three. Quarter number four, we're going to start looking at the bigger picture. Stay tuned.
0: Welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by New Trail Brewing Company. New Trail beers are brewed right here in central Pennsylvania and delivered fresh and cold to your favorite retailers every week. When you're in Happy Valley, be sure to find New Trail at W.R. Hickey and other craft beer retailers.
1: Welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number four. I'm Jim Galanti, along with my partner, Dustin Hawkinsmith, Dustin we looked at the Penn State-Michigan State game from last Saturday. Now it's time. Let's talk about the results. This was the final regular season game from Penn State. The coaches poll is out. The AP poll is out. College football playoffs, as we record this, have not come out yet. That will be a Tuesday evening. Penn State has now solidified themselves as a top 10 team. Looks like they're going to be number 8. And now the question is,
2: where are they going to go bowling? Right. I mean, the the early look of it. I mean, barring you know something, if LSU were to upset <clears throat> Georgia uh, in the in the SEC championship game, now we're we're talking about. Uh, another big shakeup. Like if if Utah were to beat USC in the PAC 12 championship game, Utah beat USC earlier. And I thought I saw that Utah might even be favored in that game. I I, I might be speaking out of turn on that. So there, there could still be some shakeups, but I think some of the shakeups that you needed to happen this weekend, uh, notably Clemson and LSU, both losing uh, helped solidify Penn state as, as a new year six bowl team right now, the, you know, before any any chaos comes, you know, in championship week, it uh, looks like uh, the Cotton Bowl. Back to the Cotton Bowl for them. But I know <laughs> there's one theory out there that we discussed off the air that might be worth discussing on the air as well. But you know, there there could be a scenario, I suppose, where the Rose Bowl happens. There could be a scenario where another bowl happens. But if, if you're betting right now, it looks like the Cotton Bowl.
1: All right. From what I could see, you were off base, Dusty. I see USC. As a two-point favorite. Okay, tight. Tight, yes. So things can still happen. What we were talking about, yes, the the way it's going to fall, and I know we've gone through this, Michigan looks like they're going to be the playoff representative from the Big Ten. Ohio State, if things go the way they're supposed to, Ohio State's going to be the team left out. They will probably go to the Rose Bowl. Penn State's not going to the Sugar Bowl. That's where the highest-ranked Southeast Conference, highest-ranked Big 12, not in the playoffs, will play each other. Nothing there. Orange Bowl will be the ACC champion and the higher, highest-ranked Southeast Conference or Big Ten team or Notre Dame that's left over. That would appear if things follow form. A week ago, Tennessee was ranked higher than Penn State. Alabama even higher. Alabama doesn't make the playoffs. They go to the Sugar Bowl. Tennessee would then go to the Orange Bowl, being higher ranked than Penn State. And the little item that we talked about is, technically, the Rose Bowl doesn't have to take Ohio State, the next highest team in the Big Ten. They could choose Penn State, which would make Ohio State the higher ranked team and have them go to the Orange Bowl. Why would that happen? Ohio State went to the Rose Bowl last year. Maybe they wouldn't want to go travel there. Maybe for a change, go to the Orange Bowl and it's better for the big 10. They would get a, both a Rose Bowl and Orange Bowl rep. But what we're probably looking at is a cotton Bowl, And I know some people will look at it as the worst setting because you then play a group of six team. That could be two lane. I think, either them or Central Florida, I believe. But you know what? It's still a New Year's Six Bowl. In the future, you could say you played a New Year's Six game again. And that helps with
2: recruiting. Yeah, and and you know, I mean, I think the last time they played in the Cotton Bowl against a group of six team, this it was a pretty productive day. It was like the coming out party for Micah Parsons. It was a coming out party for Journey Brown. Uh, we ended up, you know, both of those guys ended up having their careers cut shorter than most Penn, Penn state fans would like, but you ended up with it wasn't like there was nothing to gain. You know, it does feel like you could only lose in that scenario because it's a team that you should beat. Uh, in this case, Tulane does play um, UCF uh, Saturday in the um, AAC championship game. So the winner of that in all likelihood, but Uh, Still a lot to gain there, and I think you want to get to the best possible bowl game you can get to, and New Year's 6 is something you can hang your hat on. Uh, It's a challenge where you can can still get all that practice time, you can still get uh, a lot of national eyeballs on you, you can still have everything that you did positive throughout the year, get a big bright light shining on that no matter who you're playing, so... You know, I, I I get the maybe disappointment of of not playing, you know, let's say an SEC team or let's say not playing another top ten team, but I I, I think all things considered, the Cotton Bowl would be would be a, a a win for Penn State. I
1: I think it really would be too. Remember, Penn State was unranked going into the season. The over under on number of wins before the season was eight and a half games, meaning winning nine games you hit the number. So. It's Do not look down on a 10-win season. Now, Dusty, just looking at the big, bigger picture, which is the entire college football playoffs, one of the things we all have been talking about as a topic of conversation, whether it's going from four playoff teams to 12, would that change anything? And again, we haven't hit there yet, but I was asking you this off the air. Might we be seeing a changing of the guard Before this season started, you would have to think Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, they're the three teams that year after year make the playoffs. You would think, if I told you at the end of the year all three made them, of course you're not going to be surprised. If I told you only two out of three, or one out of three, how about, Dustin, zero out of those three making the playoffs?
2: I mean, I'm not going to count those kitch- chickens till they hatch, but, you know, you, you talk about those three teams. They were the big three. They were the teams that was were still getting all the talent. They were the teams that were making the football playoff every year. Georgia was kind of on the – was not quite in the inner orbit there. They were still trying to establish themselves as an, as an annual college football playoff team. Now they're the only one really standing as, as like an ironclad lock, it feels like. Not only that, but within the Big Ten, to have Michigan – Uh, beat Ohio State back-to-back years. They won in Columbus, I think, for the first time since 2000. They won pretty convincingly, and they did it without Blake Corm. I know Ohio State was without some guys too, but there's also a changing the guard feeling inside the Big Ten also. And so when you have Ohio State, Alabama, and Clemson all feeling like uh, they've been more vulnerable now than they've been you know, in the, in recent history, that changes the whole feel for, for the playoff. And it's like, if this were a 12 team playoff outside of Georgia, and then to a a much lesser extent, Michigan, there's no, like, there's no team that, that would definitely beat another team. So the three seed over the 12 seed, whatever Um, it it would, it would be a wide open tournament this time around. I kind of wish that there were you know, there were 12 teams for this go of it. But I hope that that continues going forward. But when you have the the stranglehold that those three particular programs had, feeling like it's easing up a little bit, boy, I think the, I think the era of, of parity could be coming even before the 12-team playoff gets here. And you know, Dustin, I'm glad you mentioned the
1: 12-team uh, playoff, because here's something interesting to consider. If we did have that 10-team playoff, and you had Penn State where they are right now, ranked eighth. How about this? They would have a home playoff game. Yeah. How about that?
2: And in, in December. Yes. Yeah. Happy, happy and, Valley in December for a playoff game it would be it would be extraordinary. And that's the kind that to me is the biggest thing
1: with a, a twelve team playoff is that we would have on campus games. I've talked about it a lot. We'll let that go. I'm sure we'll be talking about that uh, during the offseason a lot. But how wonderful would that have been? You were mentioning too the changing of the guard in the Big Ten itself with Ohio State, Michigan winning two games. What does that mean going forward? What I find interesting is now Ohio State usually at quarterback it's plug and play. They just go from one five star to the next. But that doesn't always work. Just look at Clemson and what they're dealing with, that quarterback. And C.J. Stroud is going to be gone. Michigan's uh, quarterback, he's coming back. So yeah. I'm wondering if it's not just, hey, Michigan won these past two years, but is uh, Michigan not in a better position to knock off Ohio State again next year with the returning quarterback?
2: Oh, I would I would say so. Not to mention a a philosophy, you know, that's that's probably more sustainable, too, is that, you know, with physicality and run game and they've they've got a quarterback who kind of showed uh, that that he wasn't afraid uh, in this matchup. Like J.J. McCarthy, sometimes you don't know until, you know, with with these young quarterbacks and, you know, he stepped up and played a really big role for Michigan in this game. Uh, but it just, it it felt like, you know, the criticism of Ryan Day and, and his program is that they didn't execute all that great. And I think they've been able to get away with that for a long time because they had such a huge talent gap uh, over everybody in the Big Ten that they didn't need to execute all that well. They didn't have to execute all that well against Penn State because Penn State in a lot of respects was just a little bit lesser version of what Ohio State is. Michigan, you know, brings a different challenge. They play a different style. They are very well coached and execute very, very well in what they do. And clearly what they do and how they execute what they do is problematic for the way that Ohio State is built you know, but whether you want to call that a finesse team or whatever, you can't just, you know, you can't just lean on, you know, your, your killer five-star quarterback just to throw it to all your five-star weapons and, and expect to just win every single time. You know, I think Michigan has really shaken up uh, confidence in Ohio state's, you know, stranglehold on the big 10. And in turn, I think Ohio state's stranglehold on the college football playoff. I mean, I, I, this feels like, um, you know, you can't, take anything to the bank, but two years in a row, this time in in Ohio Stadium, this feels like uh, something significant in the bigger picture.
1: All right, Dustin, finally, the last question. It looks like playoffs, Georgia, Michigan, TCU, and USC. If Georgia, Michigan lose their uh, conference championship game, I think they're still in. TCU is undefeated. If they lose, I think if it's close, you still got to put them in. If USC loses, though, that would be their second loss. What happens then? Would one loss Ohio State jump them? Or is it possible two-loss Alabama would sneak into the playoffs?
2: I think it's possible two-loss Alabama slips in. This will be where Tuesday's rankings really matter. How do they rank these teams now? You know, Ohio State's resume is not all that great. Uh, Alabama's got the second loss though. So, and, and a two loss team, I don't think has ever made the playoff, have they? So I I would no. tend to think that Ohio State would be the pick if USC were to lose in the Pac-12 championship game. I think Tuesday is going to be very telling who's, who's higher, Alabama or, or Ohio State. And if Alabama were the make it, every non-Southeast conference
1: fan will go ballistic. All right, Dustin, that's it for our show. Thank you all for listening. Make sure you join us next time on the Keystone Kickoff Show.
3: New Trail Brewing Company proudly crafts their beers right here in Central Pennsylvania. Brewed with only the best possible ingredients, New Trail produces a variety of year-round brands, as well as weekly experimental recipes. And next time you're watching the game with friends or by the campfire, pick up the New Trail Hoppy Variety Pack. New Trail's Hoppy Pack is an absolute crowd pleaser. Packed with four different hoppy beers, it's sure to please everyone.
1: Statecollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, statecollege.com. TrustStateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love.